Seems like I was just here. We were just here. <laughs> this is good. This is great. Greetings from the the tropical, exotic town of Valley City. A little meeting down there. I think there's only a few of us that did not get the old coronavirus. So we we've been a little laid up, but we are um, we are thanking the Lord. We we fared it well, and we have some we have a few folks in our midst. To one of the guys that had caught it, he doesn't even have an immune system. He uh, he had a uh, a surgery a number of years ago that they botched, and he has no immune system left. And we have been very nervous uh, if Tim gets coronavirus that it will wipe him out, but he has seemingly fared pretty well, so we are uh, we are thanking the Lord for that. Um, let's open in prayer. Father, we look to you now, um, recognizing, Lord, that, that uh, all Scripture is inspired and it is... Uh, it's spiritual, Lord. We need our, our spiritual goggles on, um, as we thought about this morning, to, to see and to hear. These things are only done under your power and through your spirit, Lord. But when we approach sections like this that we're looking at, these are, these are in the heavenlies, Lord. Um, we really don't have any bar to measure them against. We don't really have anything to compare them with. And so we need an extra measure of, of grace from your throne to understand these thoughts that are far, far above us, Lord. Um, so we ask, as we open up your word, Lord, we pray that you would be with us, that you would speak, Lord, uh, put your servant off to the side and speak through him. So we commit this time now to you, we pray in your name, amen. So a couple weeks ago... I introduced uh, the book of Ephesians, and I told you that the next time I speak, it's pretty well going to just be introduction also, and so this will be just another, this will be part two of the introduction into Ephesians. I should be able to finish today, um, should be able to wrap the, the introduction up anyway. Um, just for a sake of review of what we covered, I know there's a couple that weren't here uh, two weeks ago, so for just sake of review to kind of catch us up to where we were, um, I'm going to read, let's just read the first six verses and we'll just really pause there. We won't get any further than that, but uh, verse number one, Ephesians chapter one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So I had said, and maybe I didn't stress it enough, but verse number three to verse number six, you could in essence encapsulate the entire book of Ephesians in what Paul is going to bring out in these three verses here. Um, I had mentioned that and I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this today. I just, in passing, I had mentioned that in my opinion, the book of Ephesians is what is referred to in the Galilean wedding. Now, why does that matter? The Lord was Galilean, and all of his apostles, all apostles, all 11 of the 12 apostles were Galilean. Judas was the only one that wasn't. And the Galilean wedding has some interesting traditions, different than uh, the Jewish, the normal Jewish wedding, different than other areas of the Middle East. They have some traditions that they do that are quite a bit different. We're going to look at them, well, just in, shortly today. But one of the things that they do, the father of the groom writes a contract. And it is, in essence, if you're going to marry my daughter, this is what it means to you. This is what's in it for you. This is what you get out of the deal. And she would then look that over and she would say yes or no. Very different than a lot of Middle Eastern weddings where 
are, are marriages where, to put it bluntly, the, the, you would buy the bride, essentially. That's not the way it worked with the Galilean wedding. The bride had the final say. She would say yes or no. And so that contract in the Galilean tradition was called the Ketubah contract. In my opinion, that is what the book of Ephesians is. It is the contract to you, the bride, the bride of Christ. What's in it for you? What do you get out of this? And it's no accident that in the New Testament, the clearest teaching on the bride and groom, the picture of Christ in the church, is where? Ephesians chapter 5. No, I don't think it's an accident. It's no accident that we read this in chapter 1, verse number 13. In him, you also, when you, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, the down payment of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. It sounds a lot like the story of uh, Rebecca. Remember the unnamed servant that goes and finds the bride for that boy, gives the down payment. It's a beautiful picture. It's what we are going to see in this book. You have been given a down payment, a ring, if you will, of this future covenanted marriage agreement. But Paul wants to explain to you guys, look at what is yours in Christ. You are marrying into this family. This is the Ketubah contract. And we'll look at that a little bit more a little bit uh, a little later here. But so I had I had just in overview, I had said that the first verse number three and the first half of verse number four, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This phrase right here, this is everything. That's like the, the heading of the co- of, of the covenant contract. Everything that you can find in the book of Ephesians is in that phrase right there. Then Paul begins to kind of unpack. He begins to unpack. He kind of begins to to open the doors. We saw that there are going to be three boxcars, if you will, that we get to open the doors and look what's inside and pull out these boxes of grace. But that first phrase is like the is like the heading of the title or the, the title phrase of the covenant. Blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenlies. We had looked at, you could divide the book right down the middle almost. You could divide it right in half. Two separate truths that Paul is going to bring out. These are big. So so here we have every spiritual blessing. Then we're going to divide it in half. Chapter 1, verse 3 to 3, verse 13 is a very heavily weighted point that Paul makes, and it is us in Christ. Twenty, like four times in that section, you're going to read the words, in Him, in Christ, in the Beloved, with Him, something along those lines. And I had challenged, and I'm going to bring this out later, but I think another way you can look at it, and I don't want to take away from us being in Christ, because I think that is in view also. But I think also what is in view is that we are on Christ. That you are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. That idea of the cornerstone we are going to look at. That's very important with what Paul is going to bring out. If you understand building, that cornerstone, big, big deal. The headstone, big, big deal. So not only are we in him, and I again I don't wanna I don't wanna undermine the, the way that all the, the translators have translated that, but I believe and it's the same word in the Greek that can be translated either way, in or on. And both truths are important. We are in him and we are on him. But then at chapter three, verse thirteen, between chapter three thirteen and chapter three fourteen, the book takes a shift. It takes a, 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 a it's like two sides to a coin. We're going to look at Christ in us now. And what that means, that's chapter 3, 14 to chapter 6, verse 20. Us in him first, then him in us. And what does this mean? And we're going to spend a little more time on this today also. That's kind of the direction we're going to go. <clears throat> so Christ, uh, us in Christ, and Christ in us. Then we looked at, these three phrases, just, just briefly, that Paul brings out here. He tells you that you are holy and blameless. 
that's verse number four. Let's see. Holy and blameless, verse number four. Predestined as adoption as sons, verse number five. And to the praise of his glorious grace. And I presented to you that this is going to be three boxcars of God's grace to you. Three years like we are going to come up to this train and we're going to get to open these doors and go. The fact that God calls you holy and blameless, Paul is going to bring out in verse number 1-7 to verse number 1-10, it's like you get to come up to this train and unload the boxes that are in there. He's going to break it down even further. You see how he starts with this title phrase, splits the book in half, and he keeps breaking it out. We're going to keep, with it. that's what we're going to do. So this, in essence, is going to be my outline. We're going to keep breaking it down. So the first box card that we're going to see is that you are holy and blameless. This is part of God's grace. And what does that mean? Secondly, he tells us that you are, you are adopted as sons. Sonship. Really big deal with grace. And what does that mean? That's going to be in verse number 111 to verse number 114. Then the biggie. In my opinion, in, it is in essence the whole book. To the praise of the glory, and I use that phrase from the King James, I like that better. To the praise of the glory of His grace. This is a big one. This is verse 115 to six, chapter 6, verse 20. Big, 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 big truth brought out in the book of Ephesians. And essentially it's the whole book. To the praise of the glory of His grace. And we will spend time again, and we will expound on that more. Um, this is, again, just an overview. We looked at then, um, we looked at this term, that you are chosen in Him. That you are chosen in Him, He tells us in verse number 4. And there's, there's two separate ways of considering that. I had said one way of looking at it, and, and uh, Caleb added a little bit last week or two weeks ago that I thought was actually really good. I shared this somewhere else. But the one side of that term, that you were chosen in Him, verse number 4, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. I presented it to you as some people look at, you know, uh, uh, it, it, it's like this idea that, that uh, we're on the sand lot getting ready to pick teams, you know, for baseball. And, and God kind of went like this and said, oh, I'm going to pick you, and I'm going to pick you, and I'm going to pick you. I don't believe in the context of this verse especially, that's what is in view. And what it, what it means, and I can prove this, I believe, in this verse, is that God, it was like this. And I like, Caleb added to this, I want to share it, it's really good. So imagine, uh, and I've thought through this a little bit more, Caleb, so I've added a little more to it. But imagine, uh, uh, we're all a, a, a little league baseball team. We're eight-year-old, nine, eight, nine-year-old kids. And we're this little ragtag, pathetic baseball team. And uh, Donald Trump Jr. He's a you know he, he's a he's a big-hearted guy and he you know he, he he puts a lot of money into community and Donald Trump Jr. starts a uh, 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 a little league training program and all you got to do to get to get involved with his little league training program is you just you just got to sign up that's it there's no cost and all of us sign up and we're the only ones we sign up for this little league training program. In the, somewhere in New York, it's a free program. You kind of show up and all oh, this is going to be interesting. And we all show up and we're we're throwing the ball around and we're just we're pathetic. I mean, like I'm pitching the ball that goes over in the stands over here. And and uh, as we're as we're warming up, getting ready, Donald Trump Jr. is there, kind of looking over us, going, "These guys aren't pathetic." <laughs> and all of a sudden, this big black limousine shows up. Big black limousine comes rolling up, tinted out windows, and there's about six or eight other limos with him, and we're all, I mean, you can't miss this. We all are taken off guard. This parade of limousines pulls up, and all of a sudden, the one door, somebody comes around the one door, opens up the door, and a man gets out. It's the man. The Trump. The Don. He gets out, says, well, this is the best baseball training program ever. This is the best. That is the <laughs> this is, this is, there's no training program that's as good as this no, but so he, he steps out and he says he says this, he says guys thanks for coming I appreciate it I want to tell you what, what I'm going to do because you're with my son I'm going to pay whatever it takes 
Whatever the cost, whatever the expense, I'll spare no expense. I'm going to invest whatever it takes, put you in the best programs to turn you all into all-star Major League Baseball players. You're going to be the all-stars when I'm done with you. I will pay whatever. <clears throat> and that's what this term means. Listen to what Paul says. Verse 4 again. Even as he chose us in him, again, that's the important part. We've got to be in him first. God said, in his heart, I've made a decision that I'm going to do this. Before the foundation of the world ever existed, before the world was ever spun into being, God chose in and of himself that this group that was with my son, Donald Trump Jr., with the Lord Jesus Christ, those that are with him, I'm going to invest whatever it takes to do this. Verse 4, I'm going to make them holy and blameless before him. Guys, do not miss do not lose sight of this. When the God of the universe calls you holy and blameless, you take note. And I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to adopt you as sons. An heir and co-regent with the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss sight of that. That's a big deal. And you are going to be to the praise of the glory of my God. <clears throat> That's what this word means. He chose in and of himself for all of you and me and any of us in Christ that I'm going to do a work. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to spare any expense to see to you or see you through to the all-star team. That's what I'm going to do. Now the other side of that word we looked at is what, what uh, Isaiah tells us, and I'm trying to skim over this quick. But it is also the other side, there's two ideas to this word. That he did select, yes, but it can also mean this. In Isaiah 42, 1, we read of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Behold my servant, my chosen. And I said, it's like the equivalent of going into the meat market and you, you look at the, 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 the ribeyes on the counter uh, behind the glass. And how do you pick one? Oh, you look at the one that's got the nice marbling. It's the USDA Prime. And we even say it's the, the choice cut. This is the choice one. And what is also in view here, Isaiah tells us, Behold my servant, my chosen. He's not just saying God went, Oh, let's see, there's a group of guys out there, so uh, I'm going to take this one. No. Listen to the rest of that verse. In whom... My soul delights. That's the Father talking about His Son. On that day when He was baptized, this is my beloved Son in whom I am pleased, in whom I am well pleased. This is a choice, Father. And guys, you are in Him now. The favor and the view, the opinion that God the Father has on His Son he says, I know I love you. I look at you the same way. You now are the choice ones. And this is a very important fact with grace that I brought out. Grace does something so amazing. I'm very thankful for this. That grace sees me not as I am, but as I will be. I sure don't feel holy and blameless. But my Father sees me that way because of grace. I don't feel a lot of times adopted as a son. But He sees me that way. And, and I don't feel a lot of times like the things that I do are to the praise of the glory of His grace. But that's what grace does. It sees me that way. Not as I am, but as I will be. We looked at this is the end goal. That's the important view here. These three things are the end goal. This train is chugging away to glory. And the end, the final plan, is this right here. But it is realized, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is realized right now in you. Right now in you. 
We looked at Revelation 19, and I will just encourage you to go, don't go there for sake of time, but it, it, on your own study, go to Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9, and notice, this is the marriage supper of the Lamb. When the bride is there with Christ, it's the end goal. These three truths you're going to see there. It says that you're clothed in fine linen, bright and pure, holy and blameless. You are invited to the table. That's the place that the sons took. The family. Only the family of the king ate at his table. And it says this group, this innumerable company is crying out, Hallelujah! Rejoice and exult and give him the glory to the praise of the glory of his grace. All these things will be realized in glory. They will be fulfilled and worked out completely in glory. But they're realized now. Okay, so let's get into some a little bit more of an uh, introduction. That's just a, a fly-by overview. I want to now move forward just a little bit. I want to look at just two words. We're going to spend a bit of time. Paul tells us this again, that we are holy and blameless before him in love. Verse number five, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. In verse number 6 now, he says this, to the praise of His glorious grace, or the glory of His grace, and we are going to look at this phrase right now, or this phrase right here, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. So we are talking about this grace. This grace. This is going to be our mechanics of grace. You know, we read, we read the word grace on the paper and go, okay, that means, uh, when, you know, the acronym. And it's true, God's riches at Christ's expense. We go, okay, that means we get a lot of stuff. That's grace. We're just, we're going to get a lot of cool stuff. And that, and that is true. I'm not trying to, but it's so much more complex than that. That's what Ephesians 1 is trying to bring out. This is the complexity. This is the mechanics of grace. How... All this stuff, all these riches, all this blessing that is yours in Christ, how is it possible? How are these things evident? How are they given to you? And that is what Paul is going to bring out. That is this system right here. It's like a, it's like a well-oiled machine. That's why I like the analogy of a train. And Paul tells us this, this grace... This the God's riches at Christ's expense, this grace that is ours, which He, that is God, has blessed us in the Beloved. This section here, verse 3 through 6, this just gave us the structure for grace. The structure for grace. This is what I mean by that. Verse 3 tells us this. That we are blessed, or blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Blessed us, you and me, in Christ. So, here is the structure of grace. Here's going to be our little analogy, our illustration. Right here is us. We are inside of this engine. Woo, there's a whole bunch of us, 10,000 times 10,000. What? That's what we read here in verse 3. He has blessed us in Christ. Now, something else we read here. And I, where's all the camp kids? This song right here made me think of. How does it go? Sing the first line. Chan? We're going to a mansion on a happy day express. Sing the first line. Stop right there. What, read, sing it again louder. Going to a mansion on a happy day express. The letters on the engine spell J-E-S-U-S. Stop there. This is the sun. This is the horsepower that drives this thing. This is the, the, that's the engine. That is what is going to move this whole thing along. And we are in him, is what we just read there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. Verse 4 again, even as He chose us in Him. This is the important aspect that we are in Him. He's the power. Now verse 6 where we are at, with which He, that is God, has blessed us 
in the beloved. This is the structure. The word blessed here. This is a great word. It is a different Greek word than verse number 3, where we read in verse number 3, who has blessed us in Christ. This is a different Greek word in verse number 6. To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us. This word is karitu. It comes from the word charis. This word here means, follow me with this. I'm going to read it twice. This word means to make graceful. To make charming. To make lovely. Remember the word chosen? We read chosen. This is the idea that is brought out. To make charming. To make lovely. To make agreeable. Or to pursue with grace. Or compass with favor. I think that is outstanding. I will read the verse this way. I'm going to expound on this verse. There are two words that I want to bring out, and I'm going to, get, I'm going to give you Josh's amplified version of this verse right here. So here's, ver, here's word number one, and I'm going to read it with the amplified version. You have been made graceful, Christian. You have been made charming, lovely, agreeable. Pursued by grace, compassed with favor in the beloved. One more time. You, you have been made graceful. You've been made charming. You've been made lovely. You've been made agreeable. This is God's view of you. Pursued by grace, compassed with favor in the beloved. I think that's amazing. I think that is amazing. But there's more. Move along with me now. This verse tells us that He has blessed us. Now this phrase right here, in the Beloved. I want to ask you guys, I look around the room and there's some pretty smart folks here. A lot of homeschoolers. You know, you guys usually score quite a bit higher than us public schoolers. So I'm going to challenge you right now. Some teachers in here. What part of speech is that right there? Look at your Bibles, verse number 6. I want to know what part of speech where it tells us, Paul is telling you, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. It's capitalized in my Bible. What part of speech is that? Let me hear an answer or two. More specifically? Any other ideas? Yeah, I don't either. Just I'm So when I was studying this, I'm, well, that's a proper noun. It's a, it's a title for Christ, with which He has blessed us in the beloved. This is one reason I'm going to give you quite a few shameless plugs as I as I trot along through Ephesians chapter 1. This is the importance of your concordance. Very, very important. This is a verb. Try to explain that. Read that and, and, and fit a verb in there. This is a verb. It seems to make no sense. I could read it this way though. With which He, that is the Father has blessed us in His, the Father's, love for His Son. Technically, that's how this should translate. It just doesn't sound very good. Or something along those lines. With which He, the Father, has blessed us in His love for His own Son. I think that this phrase right here, this little line could arguably be one of the most important phrases in all of the Bible. I really do. Remember, Ephesians is the grace book. How God is going to pour all of His favor out on you. The first three chapters especially are this ketubah contract that I talked about. 
In the Ketubah contract, once again, the way it would work is a father, I'm a father and I have a daughter, or I have a, a son, rather. I would find a girl suitable for my son, let's say Channing, my oldest son, when he's the age of marriage. I'm going to find a woman who is suitable for her. For, for him, sorry. I'm going to take this all screwed up. Suitable for him. Now, the wealthier, the husband, the father of the groom, the more complex these contracts became. The more lavished this woman would get. I mean, it would be land, it would be servants and, and handmaidens, and I mean, it was just, the wealthier he was, the more extravagant this contract was. Well, who are we talking about here? We're talking about the God of the universe that owns, and that's what we're going to see later in the book of Ephesians. It's all his. And that man would find a bride, a woman, and he would approach her, and he would say, I want you to join with my son. And this is what is yours. This right here. And she would thumb through them. How could you say no? Or she might go, thanks but no thanks. Depending on it. We look at this and go, how could you say no? But we've seen, right? How could you say no? And it's beautiful what would happen then actually in that wedding. To accept this contract, he would give her a cup of wine. She would drink of this cup. That was the accepting of the covenant. And then he, and then the, uh, the, the groom would do the same thing. That contract was the what? What do we, what does the bride get out of this deal? And I said really the, the first three chapters, but it's, it's really the whole book. It's what do you get out of this deal? So this verse right here we just read, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This verse it's the source of the contract. It's the source. It is the fuel, if you will. The fuel that is going to power this whole thing. Remember, it's the Father who makes the contract. I had said two weeks ago, in, in verse number four, it reads this way, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. If you took the two words, us and in, out of there, it would read, even as he chose him before the foundation of the world. The book wouldn't change very much. It would not change. Because the point is, is the father is pouring his love and favor out on his son. This is my beloved son. And if you remove the Father's love and favor from this equation, then erase it all. That's the point. You could argue this is the most important verse in the whole Bible. But actually, this whole thing, you can't take any of it out. We love in, uh, 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 in evolution when we argue against evolutionists. The idea of irreducible complexity. Are you all familiar with it? Irreducible complexity. They always use a, the creationists use like a mouse trap. And they say that is irreducibly complex. And there are examples all throughout creation of things that are irreducibly complex. That means you can't, you can't remove a system out of the human body and it function normally. We die. Like a mouse trap. You can't take one component off that mouse trap and it works. That's an argument, a very good argument with, uh, against evolution. Because they think we just randomly, slowly grew these things and, and evolved one piece after another. It will never work. And this system is irreducibly complex. You can't take one component out, otherwise the whole thing wrecks. So I say this phrase is the most important, but it really, this is one component that it all has to be here. This these three verses are dripping 
in the grace of God. It's the system. It's the, it's the mechanics. It's the well-oiled machine. It's how it's all possible and available to you in Christ. This word, beloved, is agapeo. It is a verb of the noun agape. It's the verb form, agapeo. And it means to be fond of or to love dearly. It's talking about God the Father's love for His Son. So in other words, again, I'm going to expound this verse. I would put it this way. God the Father agapeos His Son. And all of His favor is poured out on His dear Son. Again, if you took us and in out of that verse and chapter, verse number 4, the book wouldn't change. All the love and favor is poured out on that Son. But guys... You are now joined to Him. I agapeo, my son. In essence, you could look at the the book of Ephesians as the revelation. It's the revelation of God's love for His Son. The immeasurable riches that we're going to read in chapter 2 are towards and for His Son. But we've been joined with Him. This is now the source for all that you and I have in Christ. This is the source of everything. Because all of chapters 1 through 3 are about you being in Christ. At least 20 times in Him, in Christ is used. And now since you are in Christ, all of God's favor falls on you. So grace is the vessel. It's the vessel, if you will. Glorious grace is what he tells us in verse number 6. It is the vessel that would bring all of this favor to you. This train, this little analogy, it's the, it's the mechanism of this well-oiled machine. God's Son and His love, listen to this phrase, because this is the last point I'm going to make. God's love and His Son is the source. This is what's driving the whole thing. These two things, God's love for His Son and the energy, the, the power of the Son or whatever. I mean, uh, this, is the, this is the source. And it's the two of them working cooperatively. The Father and the Son co-equally working together in this. This is the source of grace. The Son is the locomotive. He's the, the horsepower. We are in Him. God's love is the fuel that powers the whole thing. I think this is probably a terrible analogy, but this is the best I could do. Sorry. (laughs) It's the best I could do. I know it falls terribly short. But you and I now are in the Son. And He chose us in Him. So if I was going to write my own interpretation of this verse, again, I'm going to, I wanted to expound it, considering these two separate words, and it's beautiful. We read two English, we, we, read, these, he, we read this in the English, in which, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The English language so many times falls so short. The truth is there, but it's so much deeper and wider and vaster. Here's how I would interpret this verse right here, or translate this verse. And again, I'm not be- banging on these guys, because you can only put so much. But I would, inter- or I would translate it this way. To the praise of His glorious grace. Grace! Paul is going to tell you, grace! To the praise of His glorious grace with which you have been made graceful. You've been made charming. You've been made lovely. You've been made agreeable. You've been pursued by grace. You have been compassed with favor. According to, or through, or, or because of the love the Father has for His dear Son. That's what's packed in that little six-line, six-word phrase right there. You've been, made, you've been made gracious, graceful. You've been made charming. You've been made lovely and agreeable. You've been pursued by grace. You've been compassed with favor. Because of, uh, because of, or according to, or through. I, mean, I have trouble deciding what phrase I want to use there. Through the love 
the Father has for His dear Son. That's the fuel. That's the sword. That's the... That's what's powering this whole system. It's the Father's love for His Son. The Son is the driving factor. He's chugging this baby along. He set His face as it were a flint towards Jerusalem. He would not be turned aside. One more point before we finish. This will be the end of my... This is going to be the end of my introduction. This is it right here. There's one more truth that I want to bring out. As we begin to unpack these boxcars, if you will, like I said, this one is the big one. It is going to be the majority of the whole book. And what Paul seems to do, it is like there are three big boxes inside of these that we're going to break down. Inside of this huge boxcar, we're going to load three uh, 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 pallets <laughs> that have some big, big, a big box on them. Each one of these boxes is going to be divided in half. And it is these three truths right here. Turn to chapter 1, because again, verse number 115 to 620 is going to be this section on to the praise of the glory of His grace. And in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 18, Paul tells us this. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, he said, I want you guys to know something. I want you to know something. I want your hearts, the eyes of your hearts to be revealed and to understand something that you may know what is these three truths. What is the hope? You want to know what it means to be to the praise of His glorious grace, what God is going to do through you that is going to just pour and lavish glory on Him. Reflect glory on Him. It is these three truths right here. The hope to which He has called you. The riches of His glorious inheritance. And the power toward us who believe. These three things. And Paul is going to split them right down the middle. There's going to be two aspects to each one of these truths. Remember, the book is divided down the middle. Christ in us and us in Christ. So we are going to see essentially two sides of that coin. The hope that is yours from the perspective of us in Christ, and the hope that is yours from the perspective of Christ in us. And what do I mean by that? On the one side, us in Christ, and I've struggled with how to uh, uh, explain this, but when we are seated in Him, there is nothing that we add to, subtract, take away. It's just revealed in us. Does that make sense? We don't add to, it's just ours. And we don't change it. So there's an aspect of hope that is unchangeable. It doesn't, we don't affect it. No matter what we do, it's ours. Does that make sense? Okay, but the other side of it, Christ in us, He is going to empower you. And He is going to enable you. And He's going to give you all the resources and the tools that you need and he says, it's kind of like a, uh, if, if, if somebody gives you a brand new Ferrari, that's great. But he says, but here, you got to put the key in it, and you've got to fill it up with fuel. Otherwise, it's just a big paperweight. That's the other side, Christ in us. So I want you to see what I mean by that. Just the first point, I want you to see what I mean. So this idea of hope. First, Paul is going to tell you this. In verse number, chapter 1, verse number 20, this is again the source of these things, okay? We're going to see the Father and Son working cooperatively. Listen to this. Verse number 20 is going to be the source of your hope. How do you have any hope in Christ? This is how, right here, verse 20. That he, that is the Father, listen to how the two are working cooperatively together. That he, the Father, worked in his Son, in Christ. When he, the Father, raised him, the Son, from the dead, and seated him, the Son, at his, the Father's right hand. You want to know how you have hope in Christ? That is it right there. That the Son was raised from the dead by the Father, and he was seated next to his right hand. Oh, what hope we have today. Because that means exactly what God did to His Son. He was the first fruits. Now we know 
We're going to go through the same process. Amen. You want to know what your source is? What source of hope do you have? Those two worked it all out. They signed, sealed, and delivered it. And now you in Christ, there is an aspect of your hope that you cannot change. It's unchangeable. That's chapter 2, verse 1 through uh, uh, verse 10. First, he's going to give you the bad news, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's who you were. The next section, he's going to do the same thing. Just to skip forward a second, verse number 11, this is going to be the aspect of your riches in Christ. He's going to paint the bad news first, that you were separated, you were alienated, you were strangers. That was the bad news. That was your poverty. But let me show you your riches. In this section, verse 1 through verse 10, he's going to tell you, you were in dead works. Everything you did was born out of just dead works. Nothing you could do to change that. But Paul's going to tell us this now in verse 4. And I ask you, how do we change this? This is my point. It is, we don't affect this reality right here. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we, there we go again, I'm like, Paul, why do you bring me into this? And when we were dead in our trespasses, Listen to the reality here. He made us alive. You want to know what your hope is now? Same process that Christ went through. And how do we change that? It's unaffected by anything we do. We are seated in Him, sealed, signed, and delivered. And the hope that you understand and you realize in Christ is the fact that He raised us alive. And the beautiful thing of this hope, it has a future reality. But I'm alive in Christ today. Isn't that amazing? And how do we change that? It's unchangeable. We could go through this section and we could go point by point. Paul is going to bring out a reality of this hope one after another. That when you are in him, it's, it's done and you don't change it. But now, we're going to skip forward look at chapter 4. This is going to be the other side of the coin. Christ in us. Now he's going to give you the keys to this Ferrari. And he's going to, pay, he's going to give you a fuel card. That's all paid for. All you've got to do is go put the fuel in and put the key in. You open up your word, and you feed this thing. Here's the other side of the coin. This is your hope now, but there's something you actively have to pursue. Listen to what Paul says, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. You hear this? He's saying, guys, I urge you to walk. There's a side now where you, you can enter into this deeper or lesser. More or less. It's left up to you. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. What did we read in 118? To know what is the hope to which he has called you. You want to know what your calling is? He's going to tell you right here. What is your, what is your hope? He's going to tell you right here. In a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness. With patience. Bearing with one another in love. Eager, listen, listen, eager to maintain. This is going to take a lot of work. You want to know on your side what you're called to, what your hope is in Christ? Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, listen, one, 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 he's going to say, one body and one Spirit, just as you were called. You want to know what your calling is? Keep the peace, eager to maintain the unity of the bond of peace, uh, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. And this whole chapter now is all going to be the hope that is yours. Realize if you'd only put the key in and fuel it up. And we could do that, and we're going to. Now the riches that are yours in Christ, that is in chapter 2, verse 11, to chapter 3, verse 6. Those are signed, sealed, and delivered. The riches that are yours in Christ, there's an aspect of it that you can't change it. But, chapter 5, he's going to bring out these riches that are yours that, guys, you're responsible to go claim them. The power that is yours in Christ. Chapter 3, verse 7. To chapter 3, verse 13. There's a power realized in you that comes out when you speak and it's just there. I don't change it. I don't do anything to add or subtract to it. But there is a power. Chapter 6. He's going to tell you, you go put on the full armor of God to stand, 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 he says. And this is something that you are responsible to do. Put off the old man. Put on the new. 
And you are responsible for it. It's not going to just happen by random happen chance. God says, here's the keys. There's the fuel. Go take it. So that is the overview. That is going to be my my outline of the book of Ephesians. We just walked through chapter 1 to chapter 6 in about 50 minutes. Now it's going to take me about 6 years to get through the rest of it. So let's close. Father, uh, we are uh, we are so grateful for for what you've done for us in Christ, Lord. Who we are. Who we are in your dear Son, in the Beloved. You've poured your favor out on the one who was so deserving. And, uh, and we weren't, Lord. We were like that lame Mephibosheth. I think his name is going to come up a lot through this book. We were aliens. We were, we were outcasts. We were separated. But Lord, you took unto yourself that Gentile bride like we thought about this morning, that Joseph would. He'd go take that Egyptian bride. And the double portion would come, the double blessing. The elder will serve the younger. Lord, if it wasn't if it wasn't in the scriptures, it, it would be blasphemous for it to leave our lips. And yet we see through especially this book what is now ours in Christ. And Lord, we are so humbled. Not only did you save us, and that would have been more than enough, Lord. If you would have saved us just from our own guilt and sin, that would have been more than enough. And we could have been a doormat in your kingdom. And we would have been the happiest of all people. But you've made us co-heirs, Lord. Co-heirs. Oh, what we, what we enjoy now, but what we will enjoy. The half, the half has not been told, Lord. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these truths that we, we, we try to scratch the surface and understand, Lord, and we tell you, Lord, we are so unworthy. Help us to walk worthy of the calling, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.